Good morning. You guys doing well? Cool. Good to have you with us. Once again, welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, that was our youth band leading us in worship this morning. Did they do a good job? Outstanding. Yeah. As Ryan said, this is our fifth Sunday. When we have those uh, months where we have a fi- uh, five Sundays, uh, they usually come in and join us, so it's great to have our youth in, uh, in here with us this morning. They're scattered out throughout the service, so good to have you with us. This is our How It Changes Everything teaching series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 21. We're going to talk about the ups and downs of fellowship. Anybody remember what the theme verse is for the book of Acts? First chapter, eighth verse, goes something like this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What does that word witness mean? Martyr. Yeah. You will be my martyrs, and you will go into, in fact, this is how the book of Acts is laid out. You will go into Jerusalem. That's where they lived. Judea, kind of their backyard. Samaria, cross-cultural, uttermost parts of the world. And so that's how the book is laid out. Here's the idea. Pretty stunning, actually. The more we've studied this book, the more it has gotten a hold of my heart. See, it's one thing to see the cross, it's a totally different thing to be seized, to be seized by the resurrected Lord and Savior of this cross, of the cross. And that's what the book is about. It's about a a group of people, a small band of people, who encountered the resurrected Lord and Savior. And he became their most satisfying reality. And they couldn't keep quiet about it. They had to go throughout the world and tell everyone. So it's not that you get a grip of this theologically, but it gets a grip on you experientially. And when that happens, you are never the same. You are never the same. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. And so that's the book of Acts. So my question for you as we begin, is he your most satisfying reality? He is the most satisfying reality, but is he your most satisfying reality? If he is, you're beginning to get a glimpse and an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross and all that he came to do for us. And that small band of people, I mean, it impacted their life, their lives, and they went out throughout the world. So Acts 1.8, the theme verse of the whole book of Acts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're never going to be the same. I mean, that's what it said. You will receive power, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. you, you will be my witnesses, martyrs, you will be willing to give your life for me. Nothing will keep you from wanting to fill your heart up with being more satisfied in me and then letting people know in this world about me. And then, uh, so as we work through this, but, you know, it's interesting in this study, because they kind of stayed in their little holy huddle there in Jerusalem. They were supposed to go out throughout the world, but they, I mean, it's pretty comfortable in your little holy huddle. And so what did God bring to them to begin to scatter them evangelistically? Anybody know? Remember? Chapter 8, persecution. That's what he often does in our lives to get us to move us. Sometimes we just want to sit comfortable And so God will bring difficulties into our life, allow things to happen that begin to stir us up a bit and begins to move us. And it's only when we begin to do those things, that's when we begin to find the the greater joy that can be only found ultimately in him. 
Because we, begin, we get too comfortable. And so we see them scattering. We see something happen in the ninth chapter here. We see a guy who was persecuting Christians, and he does a 180. He does an about face. He does a U-turn in life's road. Anybody remember his name? Ninth chapter, Acts? His name was Saul. He became Paul. He no longer persecuted the church, but from that day forward, he began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ became the most satisfying reality in his life. And then he goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Pretty amazing. And so as we've been following this story out, most of it towards the end of the book of Acts is really about the Apostle Paul. And so we've walked through his missionary journeys. We're now on his third missionary journey. This is the chapter where his third missionary journey ends. He's going to be arrested. He's going to serve the rest of his time in this book uh, in jail. And you're going to, the next sections, we'll talk about his three trials, which are pretty profound. But we're going to talk about this whole idea of the ups and downs of fellowship. It tells us in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. So it says that throughout the scripture. So this is what it's saying. If you know the God of the cross, the God who died for you, it will so ravish your heart It will so fill up your heart with love that you will begin to love others in your life. If you don't love others, then you don't know God. You've yet to encounter him. Or maybe you know him, but you're not walking in vital union with him. Because his love, listen to me, his love will so ravish your heart. You will be so smitten by his beauty. I know it sounds crazy, but you'll even be able to love your enemies. That's what he said. That's to the depth that his love will take hold in your life. And so fellowship characterizes those who follow Christ. In other words, if I'm truly following Christ, I'm wanting to connect with you, people within the church. I want to build believers, but I also want to reach seekers. I want to know him, and out of that knowing him, then I'm going to want to reach out to others and to help them to know him. Whether they know him or not, I'm going to help them and stir up greater appetite within them for him. That's normal Christianity. That's healthy Christianity. That's what we're talking about here today. Yes, there are both ups and downs to Christian fellowship. My wife gave me this quote a couple days ago. She said, wouldn't it be nice if the world was flat? I said, that's, that's strange. I, I, don't, I don't know. And then she went on and she said, that way we could just push off the people we don't like. <laughs> and she was looking at me when she said that. And I said, is that a threat? Maybe. Yes, there are both ups and downs to Christian fellowship. But listen to me. The ups far outweigh the downs. But you've got to learn how to keep the downside of Christian fellowship up. So that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. And so let me ask you this question. How many would like to learn how to make bad relationships good and good relationships better? Show of hands. Kind of a dumb question, isn't it? You're probably thinking, why, you know, I wouldn't say, well, no, I want to have a bad relationship worse and a good one bad, okay. You wouldn't say that, but, but because we don't really make a conscious effort to begin to work on our relationships, that's what we're going to do this morning. You need to make a conscious effort to work on your relationships. That's what we're going to do this morning. That's what the text is about. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Acts 21. Let's pray. God, from all eternity... You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been knowing and loving and delighting in each other. 
Relationship, friendship, fellowship is at the roots of reality. We were created as objects of your love to live our lives for your glory, which brings to us unspeakable and glorious joy. Knowing you and making you known to others is the most satisfying reality, God. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see the light of the gospel of the glory of your Son, our Savior. Show us wonderful things from your word this morning as we study your word so that we may love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Take a look at Acts 21. So we finished up 20. We're working away at this a chapter at a time. Remember, Paul uh, was in Miletus. He called the elders of uh, the, the Ephesian elders to him, and he gives this phenomenal speech. So we looked at that. We talked about legacy. And so he's getting ready to get on a ship and leave them, and, and he's going to leave Miletus, and he's going to kind of go in different places, and then they're going to finally land in Tyre. And so that's where they land in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And so we pick up our story in verse 4. Let me kind of walk through this. I'm going to point some things out to you as we work through it. So we're going to kind of go through this slow. We're going to look at the text, and then we'll come back, and then we're going to talk about uh, the upside of Christian fellowship, the downside of Christian fellowship, and then how to keep the downside of Christian fellowship up, how we kind of work on those issues in our own life so that we can connect with each other better. So verse 4, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there. Now that's, you're going to see this phrase over and over again. Anytime reading through the scripture, there's a phrase that keeps popping up. There's, there's, a, there's significance to that. The idea here is hospitality. We stayed with them. They were hospitable. They opened their homes to us. They were receptive to us. So we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Take note of that also. So the Holy Spirit is telling them to tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And as we read through this, we're going to see almost kind of a conflict. So if the Holy Spirit is telling them to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem, and yet Paul's saying, no, the Holy Spirit tells me I need to go to Jerusalem. What's up with that? Is God confused here? Is it truly the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk about that. Um, So it almost seems kind of contradictory. But when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. So you get this sense of community, camaraderie, commitment to one another. Very similar to what we saw at the end of chapter 20, when they went out to the ship with Paul. They, they kissed him, embraced him, loved him. They were sorrowful because they were never going to see him again, and they sent him off on the ship. Very similar uh, situation here. And so they said, verse 6, uh, let me go back to verse 5, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed... So, and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them. There's that phrase again. So they stayed with them. There's this hospitality. We stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed from uh, Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him, hospitality. You got that idea once again. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. 
And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So here's another guy that's saying, hey, here's what the Holy Spirit's telling me. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Did you notice that next statement there? It didn't say that the Holy Spirit told us to urge him not to go to Jerusalem. It didn't say that. But it did say the Holy Spirit told us that you're going to face some difficult times going to Jerusalem. But then they kind of almost take it on to themselves and say, don't go to Jerusalem. So there's kind of a break in what God is saying. And then now they're kind of applying that or misapplying that. Important note. But take, take note of what Paul, how Paul responds. This is really pretty cool. Would you have the same response knowing that you're headed into persecution? Possibly even losing your life. For the sake of Christ. This is his response. Then Paul answered, why are you doing, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is my most satisfying reality. And I'm living my life for him. And he's called me to go to Jerusalem. And if that means the end of my life, then so be it. May glory be to him. So it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's just one tough guy. And let me just say this. When you're living for his glory rather than your glory, you're going to have amazing humility and courage. But if you're living for your glory, it's going to be all about comfort, and you're going to try to rearrange your circumstances, and you're going, well, maybe I shouldn't do that, and it's going to be messed up. It's going to be really messed up. But man, there's no better way to live than to live for his glory. There's not a better way to live. By the way, that was what you were created for. Is you're created by God, for God, to live for his glory. And, and you hear me say this all the time, and that's where you're going to find your greatest satisfaction, is by living for him, making much of him, not making much of you. But see, we live in America today. It's all about making much of us. It's all about our glory. And, and, and so the Bible is the antithesis of that. The Bible and what the scriptures teach and what the Christian life is totally opposite. So, and so that's why he doesn't fear that. He's courageous. He, God's with me. If God's for me, who can be against me? He's leading me there. If, if that's what he wants for me, so be it. I'm going for God. He goes on, verse 14. It, it goes on here and he says, And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. So they kind of say, Okay, we're not going to try to persist. Let the will of the Lord be done. They obviously realize, no, this is God's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem. Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyrus, an early disciple. Now, here's that phrase again, kind of very similar to what we've seen over and over again, with whom we should lodge, hospitality. So this is the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. There it is again, hospitality. So just, I mean, this whole chapter is just packed full of hospitality. So you're going to kind of see why I say what I say as we work through the upside, talk about the upside of, of Christian fellowship. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders uh, were present, and after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God has done among the Gentiles through his ministry, and when they heard it, they glorified Paul because he's such a wonderful man. No, that's not what it says, is it? Are you guys following along? No, they didn't do that. They didn't put Paul on a pedestal and say, oh, Paul, you are wonderful in every way. All the paparazzi come around and flash pictures and, oh, 
No, they don't do that. They go, wow, God. See, Paul lived his life pointing to God. Don't put me on a pedestal. It's about God. He glorified God. There was that sense of awe and wonder. Oh, my goodness, God's, God's done some phenomenal things. Many of us had that same experience just two weeks ago when we saw 34 people make a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ through water baptism at our big party that we had out here on the campus. Amazing. I mean, every time I see that, every time we have a baptism party and we see people who go from death to life through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean, I just, I'm amazed at God's work and hand here at Desert Breeze. I mean, I and you, we have front row seats to see what God does best, and that's to transform people's lives. That's what he's talking about here. Transformation of people's lives, and it's for the glory of God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews. So they're going to give him a warning here. They're going to try to do some things that it might be. You're going to try to, try to scratch your head kind of, what is this all about? Why is he doing this? Is he placating or patronizing the Jews? No. No, actually, he's not. Let's kind of walk through this here, though. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law. They're not zealous for Jesus. They're religious. They're zealous for the law. Religious people are zealous for good works, for the law, performance. If I obey God, God will bless me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, God has blessed you through Jesus Christ. Therefore, you will obey him. The obedience comes as a result of a heart smitten by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. So, so it's just, it's opposite. But so, so these guys are zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, to forsake the law. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs, what then is to be done? So they're, they're fearful that they're going to do something to Paul because he's telling people that they're not supposed to do this, but he wasn't actually telling them that. What Paul was teaching was that we're not saved by our works, but we're saved unto good works. Major difference. I'm, he wasn't diminishing the law whatsoever, but he, it, it was the reason why you, you live by the law. You don't live the law so that God will somehow bless you. No, you have God's blessing, therefore you're obedient to him. Why wouldn't you be? You're going to follow him. And so he was really teaching that. They misunderstood it. And so it's interesting as we read through this story. Listen to what they have him do. And he says, so telling them, uh, verse 22, he says, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. So they're instructing him. He said, Paul, this is what we need for you to do. We have four men who are under a vow Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. What is it? What's that about? Here's what it's about. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 20 and 22. It's being all things to all people so that I might win, that I might win them. In other words, what Paul is doing and what, he's, what they're instructing him to do is to build a bridge of credibility through relationships so that you can speak truth to them about the fact that the purpose of the law in our lives. And so you don't want to offend them right off the bat, but let's try to work on some sort of a relationship. And you see the same thing as they continue on. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, remember the Jerusalem council in the 15th chapter of Acts when they had the big council wondering, so how are we saved? 
Are we saved by all these works or are we saved by Jesus Christ? Well, we're saved by Jesus Christ. But there's a few works that we need to do only as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ so that we don't offend these folks, so that we can build a bridge, so that we can speak truth to them. In other words, show them what a friend they have in you so that you can tell them what a friend they have in Jesus. That's the point of that. So be careful how you're living among certain folks so that you can have a bridge of relationship and credibility and friendship so that eventually you can give them Jesus. That's all that's going on here. And so he goes on here, he says, but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And that was part of that whole uh, Jerusalem council in chapter 15 of Acts. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. And they began to beat him. And he was rescued by soldiers who came in and then arrested Paul and Paul will be in prison the rest of his Days in this book. Pretty interesting story. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let's take a look at this. Let's unpack this. Because there's some really great insights here for us. And here's the first we're looking at. The upside of Christian fellowship. There's four things that you and I desperately need. And we need this in the context of, in the context of Christian fellowship. We need this in our homes. Uh, this is some good tips on parenting. This is what we need as we parent our kids. And so let me give you the first one is acceptance. All of us need acceptance. And we need people in our life who say to us, I accept you as you are. Total unconditional acceptance. And we saw that in verse 4, 7, 8, 16, and 17. These people shared their homes. They opened up their homes. And you see this unconditional acceptance. Now, my wife and I, um, we celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary uh, about a week or so ago in New York, and then the actual day was yesterday. And so, it was pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. By God's grace, by God's grace, we are still together today. She still puts up with me, yes, by God's grace. And I, I have to honestly say, I love her more today than ever before. I really do. And that's because of God's grace working in our lives. I, am more, I have fallen more in love with her. And it's, it really has to do with the work of, of the cross and of Jesus Christ in our lives. But let's just say that my wife comes up to me and says, Ray, why do you love me? Now, if your wife ever asks you that question, guys, you need to be careful, okay? You need to be really careful because, you know, what you say. And, uh, I mean, if I were to say, like, hey, because, you, you know, you're my hiking buddy. We hike three times a week. We go up to Thunderbird Park. And you're my coffee drinking buddy. We just hang out together. We just have a good time. And, and you're really sexy. Yeah. Well, the problem with all of that is that becomes the, the, the conditional factor by which I love her. And, for instance, if she can't hike anymore, then she's gone, man. She's out of, she's out of the relationship. Because I only love her based on those things. That's not true. Because my response to her would be this. I love you because I love you. Oh. (laughs) See, that would be unconditional love. Whether you hike with me or not, I love you. I told her that yesterday. I try to tell her that every day. And uh, we desperately need to hear that from God because that's what God would say to us. There's that. We need to be around people who say... I accept you as you are. 
Here's the next one. We need affirmation and affection. I believe you're valuable. And you, you see this in this text, verses 5 and 6. I mean, these people are pouring their hearts out to him. They walk out to him and they send him off on the ship. They're crying. You know, they're just, they're open and receptive. And so I believe you're valuable. The third word is accountability. So you got acceptance, affirmation, affection, accountability. I care when you hurt. Those are shared hurts and burdens. We need that. We saw that in verse 5. We see that in Acts uh, chapter, the previous chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 36. And then we need authority. That's the fourth one. I desire what is best for you. See, here's, here would be kind of the, this is the upside of Christian fellowship. Why? Because this is what we need. When we connect with each other, when we hang out with each other, in our homes, in our small groups, in this church, people need to, to feel that there are a group of people saying, hey, I accept you as you are. I believe you're valuable. I care when you're hurt. I desire what is best for you. We should just, just be kind of smothered with that kind of love right here and in our homes, and in our parenting, all around us, because, because that's, that's the gospel message. Now, let me just talk a little bit, particularly under the idea of authority. By the way, you can see that the acceptance, affirmation, affection, accountability, authority, I also gave you kind of some statements to help you embrace that, and those are really what I've always called the ABCs of, of, of love. A, I accept you as you are. B, I believe you're valuable. C, I care when you hurt. D, I desire what is best for you. And by the way, I had to be able to go to my wife and ask her, do you have that sense? Can you say that about my love for you? Do I show you what are some things that I need to do to show you that I accept you as you are? For years, I, would speak, I was speaking a different language. I thought I was showing her that I accepted her. I believed she was valuable. I cared what she heard. I desired what was best for her. And I was, we were speaking totally different languages. You guys are familiar with the love languages? Love languages, what are they? They're, you know, there's, I think, five. And so there's touch and time, quality time. So touch, time, uh, acts of service, uh, affirmation, and then gift giving. Praise God, my wife is not gift giving. And so uh, it saved me a lot of money. It doesn't actually require a lot of money, even if it is gift-giving. It can be just something very small that you give. But those are the things that would tell, uh, tell you or tell them that, they, they, that you love them, that they love you, they speak your language. And so you really got to ask specific. You may think that you're showing acceptance, but in reality to them, they're not reading it because it's a different language. It's seen in a different way. So you have to ask. What does that look like? So here's the deal. You ought to be able to say that within your home. You should be asking this, parents. You should be saying this. You should be asking your kids. Do you sense that from mommy and daddy? That we accept you as you are? That we believe you're valuable? What does that look like to you? How can we show that to you? We should be doing that in a marriage relationship. We should be asking that question in our small groups. We should be asking that question when people come in here on weekend services. Are people being smothered with this idea of the acceptance, affirmation, affection, accountability, and authority? Now, here's what you've got to keep in mind. Let me, I, I need to always throw this out is that, and by the way, the last one was shared Holy Spirit guidance. I don't know if you saw that, but, but it, that means that you're able to speak into people's lives. You're able to say, hey, this is what I see God doing in your life. Oh, and by the way, you're kind of on a bad path here. Probably shouldn't do that, but I love you, and that's the reason why I'm sharing that with you. So that's kind of the idea there. But this is what you need to understand. It is never loving to allow someone to sin against you. So when we talk about acceptance, affirmation, affection, you got accountability and authority in there. So if you allow someone to sin against you, that is not loving. That's why you need to have accountability. Say, hey, 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 wait a minute. Can't do that to me. 
You're being kind of divisive here. You're, you're trying to pick a fight. I don't want to pick a fight. I love you. I value our relationship. Let's work on this together. But if you're going to try to pick a fight with me, if you're going to use names, if you're going to get mean with me or whatever, I'm, I'm going to have to remove myself from this situation. That's totally appropriate. It's totally appropriate. That's good, healthy boundaries. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Oh, and by the way, here's another thing too. Any love that is afraid to confront the one loved is really not love, but rather a kind of emotional hunger, a selfish desire to be loved. So even in the confronting of that person, if you're so fearful that you're going to lose them that you would be willing to take abuse, that's messed up. That's not real love. There's an emotional hunger. You're broken. Oh my goodness, I want you to be healed. You don't need to do that. You can have a boldness that says, hey, you know what? I love you. I accept you. I believe your value. I care when you hurt. I desire what is best for you. But you can't do that here. My wife had to do that with me. When I would come home from the fire department, I, was, I had a lot of anger just dealing with all the stuff. She said, you can't do that here. I love you. Let's go get some help. I'm so glad she did that because she loved me. She loved our family. She loved our kids enough to be able to confront me. So you can kind of see, see how that works. Let's talk a little bit more about this. So this is God's, God's way is the way of love. God's way starts with acceptance, affirmation, affection, and then it moves into the category of accountability and authority. So listen to me. Here's the gospel. <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me. I almost want to start crying even when I think about it. Because here's the gospel message. The gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. So, so where does the belief come in? After he just madly in love with you, pursues you, and then he gives his son for you. The cross, the cross. And then you believe. And then out of that belief brings change and obedience. You see, the, you see the process? See how that works? So acceptance, I love you. I accept you as you are. That's God speaking to us. When we read the cross, when we look at the cross, I accept you as you are. I believe you're valuable. I sacrifice my son for you. Oh, and as you begin to understand that, I will hold you accountable because I love you. I, I, have some, I have good things in store for you. Oh, and I'm the ultimate authority. But, but it's in the context of what? His, his acceptance, his affirmation, his affection towards us. See, the world, world reverses that order. See, here's how the world works. I'm the boss here. By the way, some churches actually teach it like that. I'm the boss here. I don't care whether you like it or not. You're going to do what I tell you. And then I will hold you accountable. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll affirm you, and then maybe at the end, I'll accept you. That's jacked up. That has nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel is, I accept you unconditionally. I accept you as you are. I believe you're valuable. I care when you hurt. There's accountability. What's going on in your life? I want to be a part of that. I desire what is best for you. That means I might speak some hard things, and I need to hear some hard things too. That make sense? You guys tracking with me? That's the way it works. But man, it's, it's out of a heart that's smitten by the beauty of Jesus that you begin to understand these things. And uh, 
Here's the deal. This is what I've learned. This is good for all of us here. I mean, I let me speak to the youth, but it's, just, it's for the adults too. Is that if we are disobedient, if we, if we are not obeying, we disobey. So think about your life. Think about your life. Are you guys doing some things you probably shouldn't be doing? You know you are. <laughs> we all do. We all do. I find myself doing it. I find myself going down the road and getting ticked off at somebody. It's like, what the heck? I'm more important than you. The other way, I'm thinking, wait a minute. What's going on there? Why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? Why am I so stressed out? You know, and I start looking at my life and I start responding in different ways. Here's what's, what's happening here. Is that, is, it, it really comes down to this. We disobey God because in unbelief we question his love for us. And in pride, we think we are smarter than him. So if your life is outside of his directives, it's only because you're not living in the reality of his acceptance and affirmation and affection. You're not going to have accountability or authority unless you really understand acceptance, affirmation, and affection. So all of sin, in essence, is a trampling on his love and wisdom. When he says, hey, I have, I have your best interest at heart. I desire what is best for you. So here's my directives for you to flip God off and do your own thing. You're trampling on his love and wisdom. You don't believe that he loves you nor, do you, nor do you think that he's smarter than you. You think you're smarter than him. And so that's the, the issue. So, so the worst thing I could do is come over and go pound you and go, come on, you better submit no matter what. He's God and you're not. No, I'm going to appeal to you and say, hey, you know what? He loves you. What's, what's broken inside of you that you don't see that? Was it a background? Was it you were raised in the church? Maybe you were around a bunch of legalistic people or whatever. I'm telling you, he loves you. Do you see how much he loves you? Do you see how much he loves you? I'm going to appeal to that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming back to you with that. And, uh, and so that's that. Let me give you a word. It's on your notes. It's the, the Greek word translated hospitality. It's what we see throughout this chapter. Hospitality means literally love for strangers. Love for strangers? We tell our kids, danger stranger. What does that mean? Well, I don't mean that. I mean, you just don't go out and pull someone off the street and bring them into your home. I mean, you've got to use some brains in all of this, and there's appropriate ways that you can actually help people. But the idea here, put a little differently, it means a love for new people. It is a willingness. By the way, most of us are strangers in a lot of ways because most of us very seldom actually connect at a deeper level. We wear a lot of masks. There's a lot of issues going on in our life. And even in a setting like this, and even in a small group, you can attend a small group regularly and still be strangers to one another because you're not getting at a deeper level because there's not a lot of acceptance and affirmation and affection. Therefore, there can't be a lot of truth-telling because you need to have a cradle of security for those moments of vulnerability so that you can share your heart. But if there's not that security, there's not going to be any vulnerability. And, and you're not going to have, have what you need, but hospitality helps to create that. And so, to put it a little differently, it means to love, a love for new people. It is a willingness to open your heart to new people and provide them with practical help out of your resources. And I mean, the Bible's packed full of this. So here's, here's the idea. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you're walking in vital union of who Christ is and what he's done for you, you're going to open up your home. You're going to open up your heart. You're going to open up your life. So let me ask you this. We're pretty disconnected folks, regardless of... Twitter and Facebook and everybody in the world has a cell phone and in spite of text messaging, we're still pretty disconnected. You know that? And what's interesting about this is that we don't really open up our homes much. When was the last time that you had strangers 
people in this church, people in your small group, just over to your house, just to have coffee, watch a game, hang out, share your life, play volleyball in the backyard, swim in your pool. Do you open up your home? Are you receptive? Are you doing the hospitality thing? On a Sunday morning when you come in here, are you looking for new folks and maybe even offering them, hey, let's go out. I've seen you here over the last three or four weeks. Hey, let's go out and grab some lunch. How long have you guys been in the valley? What's going on? Do you come from a church background? You begin to ask those kind of questions. See, that's what the Bible says. See, people's hearts who have been ravished by the glory of Jesus Christ want to build believers and reach out to seekers. And so it's going to be natural. So if you're not doing that, it's because you're probably not up close and personal to God, beginning to see his heart and see all that he has for you. And you're missing out on tons of joy that can be found in him. Let me share with you a a video clip. This is from the movie uh, Forrest Gump. Yahoo. Yes, sirree. And uh, this is that clip, and I think it's a good picture for all of us. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Watch it. Your very best now, Forrest. I sure will, Mama. I remember the bus ride on the first day of school very well. Are you coming along? Mama said not to be taking rides from strangers. This is a bus to school. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. I'm Dorothy Harris. Well, now we ain't strangers anymore. Slate's taken. You know, it's funny what a young man recollects, because I don't remember being born. Uh, I, I don't recall what I got for my first Christmas, and I don't know when I went on my first outdoor picnic, but I do remember the first time I heard the sweetest voice in the wide world. You can sit here if you want. I had never seen anything so beautiful in my life. She was like an angel. We're gonna sit down, aren't you? What's wrong with your legs? I'm nothing at all, thank you. My legs are just fine and dandy. I just sat next to her on that bus and had a conversation all the way to school. My back's crooked like a question mark. These are going to make you a straight mama, No one ever talked shoes. to me or asked me questions. Are you stupid or something? Mama says stupid is as stupid does. I'm Jenny. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. From that day on, we was always together. Jenny and me was like peas and carrots. She taught me how to climb. I showed her how to dangle. Good she helped me learn how to read. And I showed her how to swing. Sometimes we just sit out and wait for the stars. Mama's gonna worry about me. Just stay a little longer. 
for some reason, Jenny didn't ever want to go home. Okay, Jenny, I'll stay. She was my most special friend. My only friend. All of us, like Forrest Gump, have handicaps and desperately need Jenny's in our lives. Just take a look around. Everybody here, you're sitting around a bunch of folks that have a lot of issues. And you do too. Unless you're floating down the river of denial. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he will expose the issues in your life so that he can heal those issues in your life. I can always tell when people are beginning to walk close to Jesus. <laughs> because they go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I was so messed up. Exactly. So that's why the gospel is this. Sinners, sinners saved by Christ's works and not your works. <laughs> that's why the gospel is so beautiful. Is we're sinners. We need that. We have issues. And so not only are we like Forrest Gump who have issues and desperately need Jennies in our lives, um, but we need to be the Jennies in other people's lives, the Forrest Gumps that God has brought around us. We need to be able to say to them, I accept you as you are. I believe your value. I care when you hurt. I desire what is best for you. And so we create that atmosphere within our homes, within our lives, within our marriages, within our parenting within our small groups. And man, that's, that's where we can begin to flourish. The, the problem is that we really don't have that. We don't have that, that level. Because there's no perfect group out there. We all struggle in so many different, in so many different ways. And, and too often we don't have Jennies in our lives, nor are we a Jenny in other people's lives. We're not getting it because we're not good at giving it. And to have friends, you need to be a friend. And so it kind of works both ways, and it's just not working. And so this brings us to the downside of of Christian fellowship. This is what's broken in us. This is why we struggle, why we're such a, a disconnected group of people. Even in the church, here's the next point on your notes, relational hurt is inevitable because we live in a fallen world. So you have to expect it. You kind of have to expect that we're fallen people. We live in a fallen world. We see Paul getting what I classified as bad counsel, I think it was good counsel initially because they were speaking, they were just warning him, but then they begin to took it on, they took it up on themselves to say, hey, by the way, you shouldn't go here. So it was really kind of bad counsel, uh, verse 4, verse 12. And this is the reason why it was bad counsel. And, and, and God may put on your heart to speak truth to a friend, but make sure that you also ask with that truth, that, that word of knowledge it might be, uh, for a word of wisdom, the appropriate application of that truth. Does that make sense? So they, it, they, they were completely 100% accurate in the fact that Paul was going to face persecution when he went to Jerusalem, but they were wrong in saying, Paul, don't go. They were wrong in telling that. They should have said, hey, but God's going to be with you. That would have been more accurate, but they said, Paul, you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go. Paul knew better. Okay, the first part was the Holy Spirit. The second part was you. So you've got to be able to be discerning enough that when you're in a small group or you're around Christians, that sometimes you're going to get some bad counsel. You need to be able to, to be discerning about that and not be offended by that, that understanding and by what might come your way. And then also in verses 17 through 27, I, I mentioned that here Paul is going out on a limb to have a relationship, to be a friend to these Jews, only to have them cut that limb off and have him plummet 
And, and so th- that's what happens in our relationship. We reach out to folks, and then they flip us off, or they get mad, or we were responsible for screwing up their lives or their marriage. You've got to be kidding. I sat down with you. I tried to counsel you. I tried to help you through this, and you're, you're blaming me? Oh, my goodness. I don't know how many times that's happened. You reach out to folks. You try to help them. You try to love them, only to have them turn that on you as they did here. But that's the risk you take. That's the risk you take. You've got to be healthy enough. You've got to be strong enough to be able to take it. You can't be in ministry. You're not going to be able to help others. If you can't endure the difficulties of of that, if you don't understand what could happen in those settings, and what Paul was doing here is he's becoming all things to all people. That can backfire. He was trying to be Jesus to them, to be in the world but not of the world, And he was trying to, as Jesus was a friend of sinners, these guys were sinners. They were religious people, but they were still sinners. And he was trying to be a friend of them so that he could build a bridge of credibility so that he could give the message of Jesus. And they had flipped the order of their obedience and the law and understanding of it, but he was trying to build that bridge. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes you build a bridge to try to reach out to people. In fact, if I were to ask you, how many have ever done that before only to have that come back in your face? Show of hands? Yeah, most of us. And particularly if you're in ministry, it's going to happen time and time again. But you've got to be strong enough in your security in Christ to be okay with it. Because what's interesting about Paul is that, and that takes us really to the next point here. Our tendency is to let it make us hard rather than wise. And so what we do is that, well, then I'll never go to another church again. I'll never get involved in a small group again. I'll never get married again. I'll never, never, never. We go through this whole list of things that we'll never do. We become hard rather than wise and say, hey, wait a minute, I need to be smarter, I need to be healthier, I need to have good healthy boundaries. So this is what's interesting, we're going to follow the story of Paul out, and he, you don't ever see a, even a hint of bitterness while he's in prison. He was put in prison by the people that he was trying to re- reach out to and love. And they put him in prison, and they persecute him. They are beating him here on this story. And you never see him with any kind of animosity trying to get back with him. He only uses it as, and next week we'll look at it, he uses it as a platform to pro- proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to let them know that the most satisfying reality is Jesus. And even in persecution, I'm going to show that to you. Pretty amazing. So our tendency is to let it make us hard rather than wise. A guy by the name of Dan Allender wrote a book called The Healing Path. talks about how our past hurts can actually Uh, God can use those and reshape our lives and use them in a powerful way that we can make an impact in other people's lives and God can do some phenomenal things out of those things. But listen to what he says here. He says, this is a quote from Dan Allender. He says, our sinfulness, not how we've been sinned against, is our biggest problem. So it's our sinfulness and not how we've been sinned against is our biggest problem. In other words, it's how we respond to the sin is our biggest problem, really, and how we choose what we choose to do. And typically, we tend to become, listen to me, we tend to become like the evil that has been done to us. Paul doesn't do that. And he's showing a heart that has been healed up by Jesus. See, see, when when you have the acceptance the affirmation and the affection of Jesus Christ and you're living under his accountability and his authority. Your good days are leavable. Your bad days are durable. You can face anything. If you have the God of the galaxies, his acceptance and affirmation and affection is being poured into your life on a regular basis through Bible study, prayer, small group participation. I mean, you're just, you're swimming in it. You're bathing in it. You're being smothered with the goodness of God. You can face anything. 
But the problem is, is that we respond in sin. We all do it. I do it. We become bitter. Here's a statement I've heard from people before. I've heard women say this more than men. I just can't relate to other women. I've heard women say, I can't relate very well to other women. That's a problem. Something's broken in you. Does it make sense to me that you would be able to relate better to women than men? Because men are weird, okay? Aren't they, ladies? To you? Men are wired up a little bit differently. And so you ought to be able to connect best with someone that's wired up more like you, and guys should be able to connect best with guys. That makes sense. But when, I, when a guy says, oh, I connect better with women, or I connect, well, what's going on there? What's happened? Were you hurt in the past? Why is that true? What's going on in your life? See, when you find yourself in any moment where you're kind of recoiling, when naturally you should be reaching out regardless of what's going on, what that tells me is that there's something broken inside of you. It's that burn analogy, sunburn analogy. Someone reaches out to love you and you recoil, you pull back. I didn't know you had a sunburn under your, your shirt, but I reached out just to love you. I'm, Whoa, by the way, when you do that and someone responds like that, don't respond back by trying to force them closer. Just say, hey, whoa, 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 man, I'm so sorry. I had no idea what's going on. My intention was to reach out and love you. And you felt it as a, like a jab, like I was trying to hit you. That, that would be the last thing I would want. Do you see what's going on there? So you're making it safe for them to be able to share rather than to say, hey, you, why do you pull back all the time? You get back over here. You're my wife. And it's like, why, why throw the authority and accountability on her or him? It, it's affirmation. It's acceptance. You've got to create an atmosphere so that then they can open up and then you can work on that issue and find out, well, it wasn't you. It was actually something in my past that I haven't really had healed. And maybe now I can start looking at it because now I feel safe enough to be able to talk about it. And so that's, that's desperately what we need. Here's the next one. This is what it does. This is what really breaks us, is that hardness is the inability to trust, to feel, and to be assertive. So I've been hurt in a situation. If that's not healed out, healed up, I'm going to take it right back into the next relationship or the next church experience. And you're just going to keep re- redoing that same pain, that same problem over and over again. So you've been hurt, and so you, your trust has been violated and uh, so you're not going to be able to trust. You're going to have a hard time. And you're not going to have the level of intimacy that you desperately need. And not only that, with that, you're not going to be able to feel. I don't know how many times I've seen people where I've been with them, and, and they don't even know what, what they're feeling because they were shut down as kids growing up in their home because there was this form of abuse. And the kids weren't even allowed to be able to express their feelings. If there's anything I could do over again, that's what I would do certainly in my home, is that I'd give my kids more opportunity you know, to express their feelings and, and kind of direct them in that. I, I tended to shut my kids down. In a lot of ways. And so I sent my kids out kind of unprepared and they didn't know what they were feeling or what was going on and therefore they really couldn't connect with God at that deeper level because they didn't even know what they were feeling. You cannot connect with God. How can you be honest with God if you don't even know what's going on in your own life? How can you share and how can he meet you at that point in your life of grief or sorrow or pain if you're in denial and shoving it down inside of you because that's what you're always taught and because you were hurt in the past so you tend to do that over and over again. I'm telling you... (laughs) Jesus loves you. He's reaching out to you this morning. You can find healing to your life. There's one more clip that I'm going to share with you. Oh, by the way, the last one here was you can't even be assertive because you, you, maybe you were forced to take on more responsibility than what you should or maybe you were trained to be kind of a lazy person so there's that tendency to not be really assertive in the right way. You don't know where the boundaries are so you either take on too much responsibility in some cases and then you don't take on enough in other cases and so it just kind of, I mean, you become all jacked up because of a lot of different things but God can bring the healing to your life. That's the next point. And so let me show you this clip. This is the next clip from the movie. It's one of my favorite clips. 
And this is the one where they come and they pick on Forrest Gump and they throw rocks at him and he runs and he runs right out of his braces. And I'm sharing this with you only because of this. God can heal you. There's no hurt, habit, or hang-up that he cannot heal. So when we watch this, I just want you to think about that. Think of what you're struggling with. Jesus is here this morning to begin the process of healing in your life. If it hasn't already begun, if it has, then he wants to contribute to that this morning as you encounter him more. Watch this video. My mom always told me that miracles happen every day. Some people don't think so, but they do. Hey, dummy! Are you caught in a just plain stoop? No, I'm Forrest Gump. Just run away, Forrest. Run, Forrest! Run away! Hurry! Get the brakes! Hurry up! Let's get it! Come on! Look out, dummy! Here we come! Get you! Here's how, I'm gonna, how we're going to end here this morning. This is what you need to know. If you don't get anything, get this. There's no hurt, habit, or hang-up that can keep you from the healing, health, and wholeness that is offered to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. So come to Jesus. Get to know Him. Walk with Him. He loves you. And... Uh, for the rest of the story, you'll have to come back next week to learn more of how to do that. Oh, man. I'll give you a couple points here. Next week, we actually are going to talk about the identity, our identity in Christ, and the identity theft, and how we get, get it misplaced. But here it is. Here's the next point. The more your identity is centered on Christ, the more you'll see your need for, you, for Christian fellowship, so you'll be humbled. You'll see your need for Christian fellowship, and the less you'll be overly needy of it. In other words, you'll be confident, so you'll have good, healthy boundaries. Because of the cross, you won't be proud and insensitive to others, or fearful and hypersensitive when they offend you. They're going to offend you, and you're going to offend them. You're going to be able to work through that. Here's the next point. The more you are experiencing the reality of God's acceptance, affirmation, affection, living under his accountability and authority, the more you will be able to offer that to insiders and outsiders of the Christian faith. So 
So the, the goal of this, I mean, it's, so it's not some easy, easy thing to do. You've got to get close to Jesus. You've got to get to know him. You've got to walk with him. You've got to give him your life. Maybe if you've never given him your life, give him your life this morning. Put your faith in him. So here's what I want you to understand. Everybody look up here. This is where we're going to end. When you look at the cross, never forget, this is what he's saying to you. I accept you as you are. His arms were nailed wide open for you. When you look at the cross, he is saying to you, I believe you are valuable. The father would rather sacrifice his son than to lose you. When you look at the cross, he's saying, I care when you hurt. He hates suffering and loves you so much that he came down to this earth and got involved with our lives and he is involved in your life and he will never leave you or forsake you. When you look at the cross, he's saying, I desire what is best for you and he wrote it down and he tells us about it so that we can live in the reality of it. I pray this morning that that's just not a concept but it becomes a reality and when it does, it will revolutionize your life and then you'll be able to share that with others. Stand with me for closing prayer. God, what an amazing... What an amazing text. What what an amazing God you are. You have spoken to our hearts this morning. And I'm once again blown away how how much you love us and you love the the people here at Desert Breeze. And I know you're working in people's lives this morning. So we just pray that you continue the process of healing, health, and wholeness as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and that we would be able to share that with the world. In the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, for your glory, we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.